Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of Masterclass Theology. I'm Professor D. I'm Big Rev. And uh, we're doing a special little bit of a, a one-off uh, in this because we have a vacation Bible school going on in our uh, in our home church at the Bridge uh, Community Church in Des Plaines. So with all the campuses doing uh, VBS, we decided to do a different kind of podcast than usual. You guys are usually used to hearing Joel leading this and uh, me being the colorful commentator, but this time we're going to flip the script a little bit. And because we don't want to kind of uh, interrupt our regularly scheduled program, instead of covering the smaller Pauline epistles that we're doing over the summer, we're actually going to do a small Pauline epistle, just not one of the ones that we were going to do initially. And again, it kind of fits because it's a, it's a one chapter book. We're going to, we're going to do the page of Philemon. Mm. And with that, let's open up in a quick word of prayer. Father in heaven, we, we love you so much. And we thank you so much for, for your salvation, your spirit, your word, and your love towards us. We thank you that you did not leave us alone that you left us this amazing communication that we can interact with you through, through your word and through prayer. Right now, as, as, we, uh, as we enter into the, the letter to Philemon, we, we ask that your spirit guide the conversation, that, um, that you will, will speak through, through uh, Big Revan and myself, and that we can have some real fun with this text tonight. Uh, there's some heavy topics in there for sure, but we know that you you can communicate something really wonderful here. Thank you for this time. We pray for our listeners and um, that's pretty much it. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son, we pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna start off by reading the uh, first couple verses in, in the, uh, the letter to Philemon. So it starts off, uh, and we usually read off of the ESV for anybody who's following, and it starts off like this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to stop there for a moment. All right, Big Rav, a couple questions for you. So who's our author here? Well, this is clearly Paul, and Timothy is right next to him. All right, very cool. So with that said, then who's our recipient? Yeah, from, from what we're, we're gleaning here, um, it looks like his name is Philemon, and he's got, yeah, he, he's, he's got an, uh, what many think is his wife is Aphia or Aphia, and an Archippus, which could be their son uh, in, in the Colossian house church, because this is, uh, we, we kind of get the idea that they're, they're, they're in Colossae, and so this is, this is the idea where Philemon and Aphia and Archippus, whoever they are, they, they are important people all together in that church. So that's kind of. Now, here's a question I, I didn't really throw at you earlier, but I'm going to ask it now. This letter, is it only for Philemon and his household or was it intended to be written, read to, to the church itself? That's a really good question because I, I from, from what I've been able to remember from. There used 
to be a debate about about this letter of Philemon that that argued that very question. And the part of that was, if this was just written, if this was written to be read to everybody, then Paul most likely wouldn't be so conciliatory that he would be more he would be more like apostolic or more like he was in Galatians, kind of just very bombastic or very commanding or very certain. But it seems to be more of a personal letter. But with that said, he writes it in verse two to the church in your house. So there's something about, even though this is a personal letter to Philemon, the church is a family. And so it, it, it makes sense that the family is involved in this and that so I, I think the answer is, is, is both because it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to not have it be part of written to the church, but at the same time, it is a very personal letter, but he's communicating some big things that the church needs to hear. Yeah. No, I, and, and I, and I, I tend to agree with you there. Although one of the things I was uh, learning when, when, when we were prepping for this is that you that is used in this letter is the you that's more specific, not the, the you that's usually the y'all as we would say it mm. but yeah I, I i because of the fact that it does mention the church i i do think it also is is also intended to be read aloud to everybody there um so where again you, you mentioned this earlier again for where were the recipients at i'm trying i'm scrolling i'm scrolling down the text here i'm trying to see that does it actually say um, I believe in, I, I know these, these characters are also linked to the letter to the Colossians. So mm -hmm. most Bible scholars, in fact, most commenta commentaries where, where you can buy a good Colossians commentary, a lot of them throw Philemon in there. And yeah. so that this is a, so this would be written to the city of Colossae. So to the Colossian church. So most likely Philemon is either a bishop or an elder he's someone important mm -hmm. and i mean so it's this is somebody that it would make sense he's either representing the church or he's a big wig in the church and but yeah this this would be mo most most commentators agree this is sent to uh, colossae so the colossian church okay now when was this written well this is another big debated thing of most likely if, if it's kind of like the i, I know if you go back to our listeners who want to go, our current series is in Philippians, and we we wonder about when, when Paul's imprisonment was. And I mean, there's three big imprisonments, and the only one that really makes sense here, because we're dealing with a runaway slave, the the most likely place a runaway slave is going to run is to Rome, is to get out of there and to get away to to the, the to the the place in the Roman Empire with the most possible slaves, and so if if he would really if, this, if, if Onesimus really was a runaway slave, then the only really place that makes sense is for him to go to Rome. And so that would place this very late in, in Paul's life. So in the 60s, so this is really during his Roman imprisonment towards the end of the book of Acts. That would be otherwise, um, it, it could be in an earlier imprisonment, but uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, I would agree there around 60 to 62 A.D., yeah. yeah, just because of the nature of the slave, of, of yeah. we're dealing with that, and it's the only place a slave would run. It'd be kind of like in Illinois, you know, you would you would probably try to hide somewhere in Chicago with a lot right. of people. I mean, it would just be kind of the, the most sanctuary city, sanctuary totally. city, totally. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and most commentators also kind of lump Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon as part of being written during that prison stint as well. Mm. So, all right, very good stuff. All right, so um, with that said, and you basically answered the, the, the next question I had, which where may it have been written? And Rome basically is where, where it seems to be happening. So, yeah. All right, so with that, we're going to move on to the next couple of verses. Nice. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So um, how does Paul describe Philemon here? You're a Christian talk. He's his brother. Yeah. So his equal in Christ. Yeah. Someone who is doing good work. Yeah. So yeah, Philemon's a really good guy here. So okay. So what is the importance of, of the love towards the Lord and the saints? Okay. Trying to find trying to trying to find the verse where that was at, just real quick. Uh effective for okay. I, yeah, it's it's he is Philemon is is doing good work. He's he's showing he he's he's showing a lot of his his work is honoring Christ and is caring for people. And so that it's like in verse six, Paul Paul wants to Paul wants hit that he wants Philemon's story to really take off and really affect other people and really be a good influence and and be a way that Paul is able to invest in the church there. So, yeah, so I, I would say extremely important that anyone who's doing ministry is showing love to the Lord and also love for the people that they're either ministering to or ministering with. Yeah, that, that, that's right on, right on. So, uh, you know, going back to verse six, so what is Paul praying for uh, on behalf of Philemon? Yeah, the, the sharing of your faith may become effective every good thing is for the sake of Christ. Yeah, there's there's something here. I, I think Paul is showing his cards a little bit here, a little bit early, because he's bringing up something really, really big. And that big thing is for the sake of Christ. Like, mm -hmm. at, like at the bottom level of what Paul is going at, at the very, it's like there's one key thing he's going to hint at here. It's like, okay, at some point, it's like God's glory or for God's sake or for Christ's mm -hmm. sake. And for, for some reason, he's tying everything back to Jesus and to the faith, and he's not doing it in big theological terms, like okay, the the Christ, our suffering servant, or anything like that. No, he's it's like okay, so it's a that Philemon's faith, that his faith and his faith story may now impact other people for, for in a good way. It's almost like Paul's praying for a good outcome before he gets into what he's going to pray for, and he's kind of like it's almost like he's laying his cards out there, yeah. and. He's, he's got the trump card, which is Christ. He's just kind of hinting at playing that one right here. At least that's how it looks to me. How's it look to you? Well, I, I think it's pretty much along the same lines, too. And I'm kind of glad that, again, you know, when we do these things, we don't exactly, uh, we have loose outlines as far as these questions are concerned. So hmm. it's kind of like an anything goes. So this, this is about as spontaneous as it gets, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So let's move on to the next couple of verses here. A very organic conversation. Guess, a very organic conversation. Normally we, we plan a little bit more, but this is just kind of like, okay, 
how has God blessed you, my friend? And how has God blessed me? Kind of thing. How, how can we just, just what, what can we figure out together? And, and which is kind of cool, Professor D, that we get to, yeah. our, some of our listeners may not have even read Philemon before. They have no idea what's going on. Well, you know, it gets stuck between, you know, James and Revelation. Sometimes it's stuck to James and sometimes it's stuck to Revelation. Maybe you turned the page too fast and you missed it. I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's that little page that if you got the gold outline on your Bibles, it got stuck to one of the other ones. Finally, right, so it doesn't have a chapter two. So, I mean, it's just. There, there you go. Yeah, so, yeah, so here we go. Without producers and production values. All right. Moving on to verse eight and onward. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So we got this new character in this, in this now. Who is Onesimus? Well, this is somebody, if, you, if you've read the, the book of Colossians, he's mentioned towards the end that, that Paul was going to be sending him back, uh, sending him to Coloss Colossae or to the Colossian church. But yeah, this guy is, this guy is the man, man really the man at the center of it. It's, it's the, the guy who ran away and he's asking Philemon to take him back. Okay. And so, so, this, so what is the significance behind all? Uh, Paul appealing versus commanding Philemon here. Yeah, it's what Paul mentions here is that he has spiritual authority and he certainly could be commanding. He certainly could be, he, he could be laying down just, okay, I, these are expectations and I expect you now to do this. It's like he was very bold, like in the Galatian letter, for example, where he was telling them, hey, if you're following some other gospel, you're anathema, you're, you're going to be cursed, so knock it off and, and stop doing it. Mean, he was very direct. And here, he, he appears almost like a biblical counselor, where in counseling, we're not so much commanding, where we open up God's word, and God's word sometimes is commanding, but we, we work alongside the people we journey with, and we, we appeal, and we, we ask questions, and we guide, and we, and we kind of move along with them. And so it's almost like there's a partnership here instead of just a flat-out commanding. Even though Paul could, he's wanting to you know, partner with him and come alongside of him and help him to make the right decision, whereas he doesn't feel coerced. Very good, very good. So, so what's the deal with Paul as a prisoner for Christ here? Well, I, he... If this is indeed in Rome, he's in Rome in prison. Well, because Jesus called it, he said, you're going to go to Rome. But um, he he was taken to court because of his Christian faith and the outworkings of his Christian faith by his fellow Jews. And it ended up him going through the Roman judicial system and he appealed to Caesar. So here he is in Rome under in whatever, in chains, in prison, whatever, however you want to call it. We don't know exactly how bad it was there, but he is, he's not in prison because he's done something wrong that he broke some law. And now, you know, he had to go, he has to go pay the piper. He, he's, he's a prisoner because of Christ, because of his faith. And if he was a selfish person, he probably could have wiggled off this hook a long time ago, but he appealed to Caesar so he could now bring the gospel to Rome. And that is how Paul viewed himself. And so he's not, he's not looking for, I don't think he's looking for, okay, I, I'm, I'm a prisoner. The man got me or, 
boy, I'm just a victim of circumstance. No, he knows exactly why he's in prison and knows exactly what he's about. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. He's right. being very clear and, and and overt about why he's in prison and so what. No, so no going. harmonica, no tin can, right? Yeah, he's not he's not on the corner with a brown paper bag or anything like that. No. All right, very cool. All right, so why did Paul say that Onesimus was useless at some point? Yeah, that, that that's the one word that I wish. I had spent some time in the Greek and looked up and see what was going on there. But you can imagine if you've got, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to figure out, I'm trying to put myself in Philemon's shoes. You've got this, this slave that's part of your household and he runs away. And now there's a great, now there's a great big drama and you've, you've got all these things going on and gosh, that all, all this you're now dealing with and boy, you're just, you're just a pain in my rear. And, and, and now it's like he's not able to be useful in the sense of he being present and doing what he should be doing. He's now out of the state or out of the city. He's not able to be useful for the family. He's not mm -hmm. able to do the stuff. So, I, I mean, we, if in English we want to read this, and gosh, Paul, you're really laying it on hard there. He's just a useless person. Like he's making a value statement. But I just wonder if he's making more of a functionality statement because then he turns right around saying, you know, he's indeed useful not only to you, but to me. So maybe just in terms of like just practicality, he's not there to serve you anymore. And I don't know, I, that, that's, that, that's just kind of what stands out to me. I wish I'd look the word up and give a more nuanced answer, but. Yeah, I was kind of appealing to your big, big rev brain because uh, I believe that Onesimus actually means useful. Oh, wow. And it's actually one of those names that is, was a very common slave name. And I believe that this had to do more with a, with a play on words that he's doing here right now. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Moving down to the next couple of verses going out to verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Boy, he's a bit melodramatic there, ain't he? I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is for this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant or slave, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So why was Paul sending Onesimus back to Philemon? Hmm. Yeah, he's, it looks like he's got a service mindset here. Mm -hmm. So he, okay, he's, yeah, he wants to keep him with him, but, but he's, he's now sending, it's almost like he's sending him back as an emissary. And so now, now, now he's able to carry good, good word for me. He might be able to, to just be a further service, but yeah. And so it, it's, yeah, there, there, there's something going on there with, he's going to get at in a little bit later on verse 15, that, mm -hmm. that, that he gets to have him back in a different way. So not only is, is the slave master relationship going to be restored, but now there's, there's going to be something else going on there. So uh, that is, but yeah, it's, it's almost like you can get it. You can have him back, but now you can really have him back. And so 
that there's about there's something there's something to be said about reconciliation. So so Paul would probably be in error if he doesn't send him back. Yeah. Because there needs to be reconciliation, at least in the eyes of do good so that the, you know let it's almost like let your light let let your light shine. You know, do good works mm-hmm. so that the Gentiles can see the good works and glorify yeah. your Father in heaven, kind of thing. That would be a good work sending him back, but he's sending him back not just to be restored as a family unit or as a slave master, but restored in a different way. That's kind of a powerful thing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, I'm glad you said that. Um, why did Paul prefer not to do things without Philemon's consent? And by the way, while you were asking that question, I looked up the word useless in, 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 in the Greek in, in verse 11, and it is a creston. So I, I, was, I was thinking it was going to be something along the lines of Onesimus, but mm. it is, uh, yeah, and then useful as you crest on. So I, I, I was thinking it was something different, but, but yeah, so I'm, I, I just, I looked that up. So I, I, I missed your question. So why did Paul? Yeah, so to, why did Paul prefer not to do things without Philemon's consent? I, I mean, I think that he's continuing that partnership here. I mean, yeah. once again, so th- this, this is why there are, there are some commentators in history that are very skeptical about this being written to the church because had it been written to be read in the church, this would have made a verse like this pretty much moot because the church would have said, okay, hold on, you know, uh, uh, Philemon, all right, enough already. This guy's now a Christian and move on. But he's wanting to, I mean, Paul going about it this way kind of eliminates bitterness. It eliminates Philemon having any kind of grudging resentment in his heart or maybe thinking well i have been defrauded and now i'm i'm deserving of my justice or so it's almost like helping him to make the decision himself but yeah you know one of the things in in counseling is if we can get if we can get the person we're counseling to um to read god's word and understand what they need to do on their own without having to tell them they'll do the they'll do it more often than not that if i'm telling them to do it and so it's almost like paul's arriving at trying to help Philemon to arrive at the right answer here from a bit, from a, you know, a, a godly standpoint for the sake of Christ kind of standpoint. And so I don't think Paul has to, I don't think from a, I don't think he needs his consent, but, but I like the way Paul's acting here. Paul's being very gracious. Yeah. And when I guess he may not, didn't have to be as apostle, but I think, you know, one of the thoughts that I that had was running through my mind is also that Paul wants to do right because, again, Philemon, I mean, Onesimus belongs to Philemon. Mm. And Paul probably didn't want any accusations also of impropriety of holding on to Onesimus, considering that not only did he know he was a runaway slave, but he also knew who the guy was, you know, small world and all. Right. That's so, a good point. Yeah, that was one of the things that uh, came to my mind as, as we were having this discussion. All right, so do you think verse uh, 15, I'll let you kind of reread it real quick but I, as I read the question, but do you think verse 15 has any echoes of S- Esther 4.14? Well, do, do, do you have that verse handy? I have much of the book of Esther memorized. I'm kidding. I, I do not have four. I can't remember 414 off the top oh, of my 414. Head. You know this one. This is the, the one Esther verse. <laughs> huh. Is that the for such a time as this? Yes. Okay. So perhaps this is why he was part of Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, really, it, this is, if, 
it's real tempting if, if we're able to take one step back from our situation and kind of see what God is doing. I mean, this is something in the, the Prince of Egypt movie that Moses' father-in-law sings a song, look at your life through heaven's eyes. It's like, take, you're like taking one step back and now look at, look at your situation is you're, you're going to get him back. So it, it's, I mean, it's almost like in Genesis 50 where you intended for evil, but God used it for good. I mean, kind of an idea here of this was a moment where God, yeah, I know it was a great pain in your rear Philemon, but this is what God was doing. And God saved this man. And now he's going, he's been reconciled with God. And now he can be reconciled back to you. And that is kind of cool. It's yeah. I, I kind of thought so in the sense that it kind of, in a, pretty much every letter of Paul emphasizes in some shape, way or form, the sovereignty of God. Mm. And this one pager, it doesn't escape the fact that there is that, sovereignty of god moment in there as well yeah a number of us might wonder why why do things happen why now why mm -hmm. this why again and if, if if we can kind of train ourselves to take that one step back and kind of just look at the situation and say okay what what's god doing here yeah maybe what is god expecting me to, to understand right now to learn and yeah that, that could be very powerful and i yeah. think he's in i think he's in, he's inviting philemon to do that because if indeed he can receive him back as a brother, he realizes that if nothing else, if he's still his slave, oh, what a slave he's going to be. And if, 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 if not more, you, you now have a brother in Christ. So this is. Yeah. So explain that a little bit about verse 16, what, what Paul's saying there about Onesimus being more than a slave. I mean, Paul, the big thing there in 16 is he's a beloved brother. And then especially to me. So Paul's saying, I consider him a brother. I realize he's also your slave. I realize he's your runaway slave or your bond servant, what, what have you. I realize his identity is a little bit different from you, but just remember to me, the one you look up to, if, if, if my opinion means anything, I consider him a full brother. And so he is not a slave if he's a slave to anybody, he's a slave to Jesus. Like I'm a slave to Jesus, like you're a slave to Jesus. And so now you're not getting back a runaway slave with his tail tucked between his legs. You're getting back a full brother in Christ where you didn't have that before. And so now just imagine the relationship you're going to have. And this is, he, 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 and how much more, now he's almost using a rabbinical argument here. One of those, how much more arguments, but yeah, in the flesh, in terms of this is his life, but now in the Lord, so now you, you are, you, here you are, Philemon, a minister in the church. Now you get, you get someone with a great gospel story now back who's been reconciled. I mean, that's just a very powerful thing. And so that's just now something that's more than I got him back. Now I got back a brother. That's, that's huge in the minute. I mean, th those stories are huge in the ministry. I mean, it's kind of why Jesus told the, the, the Gadarene demoniac when the demoniac wanted to go meet with him and travel with him and let me go with you. He said, no, go and tell your story. Go share what God's done for you. It's like, that is massive. Yeah. That kind of walking testimony. Well, now, now Onesimus gets to be that walking testimony. And now Philemon, you get that testimony coming back to you and you get to be the gracious one. And you get to be, you get to honor God by showing this forgiveness and grace. Huge. Huge. Yeah, definitely very huge, man. Good, really good stuff here. So uh, moving forward, we're going to go down to verse 17 now. So if you consider me your partner, 
receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Wow, what a passage. Uh, so how is Paul instructing Philemon to receive Onesimus? I mean, I know you, we've kind of mentioned it already, but. I mean, it, Paul, Paul is putting pretty much the, he's laying it on thick here. He, he's basically saying, um, imagine how you would treat the situation if I rolled into town. Mm-hmm. Imagine the party, imagine the, the, the great potluck dinner, whatever it is. Imagine what you're going to do if I rolled into town. Now, I want you to do that for him. So imagine as, as if I'm coming into town now, receive him that way. And, and how, you know, that, that receive him as if I'm coming there. And so that right away would eliminate bitterness. That would eliminate revenge. That would, that, that basically he's telling, he's telling Philemon, get your heart ready. Because as if I was coming into town, he's coming into town like that. I, I would, I, it's just, he's just preparing him to re- greet him and receive him the right way. Because that, that's why the prodigal son story is so powerful yeah. because how, how he was received when he got back, yeah. it's, you know, God ran. I mean, God, it's like the father ran and greeted him so out of the ordinary. And that greeting set the stage for everything that came afterwards. And so this right here, have that kind of greeting, receive him well. You have a real opportunity to, to make a very, very mature and gracious move at the beginning. This, this stands out to me. Yeah, yeah. So um, what does verse 18 suggest concerning Onesimus? Oh, that's a trick question. You know, I guess if you take it at face value, it probably suggests that Onesimus, when he fled, he took some money with him. It, that, that, he, that he stole something or he stole some travel expenses. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when he left, he was obviously breaking the law. He was obviously wronging Philemon. No one's suggesting that, that Onesimus is a completely innocent guy. No, he, he broke the law as it was. Most likely he stole something. I don't know if he confessed that to Paul because Paul, you know, if he has wronged you, if he is owing you, I don't know if Paul's being coy or he's really meaning it, but most likely Onesimus stole something and there, 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 there would be money to be repaid. Yeah. That's what said. What about you? Uh, I, I think that at the very least, he had to get some travel expenses. I mean, there's no way a guy who's a slave can get that far without being able to to pay something off. You know, I don't think there was an underground railroad, as it were. Yeah. But you would still need to pay for, you know, any sort of transportation, protection, food right. on the way to Rome, you know. Right. So, yeah, I think that there was something more more there. And I think it, it also adds to to what is the larger point of this letters, which will hit on towards the end. So is there a parallel here to Jesus in verse 19? I mean, that, that was the coy part of verse 18. That 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 would be kind of like. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of a, like a really weird mafia example where. You've done someone a favor, and I was like, "Okay, do you really have to pay this guy back? Are we good?" I mean, I realize there's a debt, but I'm the one asking for it, so is there really a debt? You know, considering all I've done to you, it's like if he is. So if Paul's being coy in verse 18, if he's wronged you at all, hey, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. 
And so, and, and that, that invites Philemon to go, oh, of course not. I'm not going to charge. Are you kidding me? Because then right away here, listen, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll repay it. If there's, if there's, if he, if he comes back into town and he owes you, you know, 200 denarii or whatever, I'll, I'll repay it. And then, and then the coy part is to say nothing of you're owing me, even your own self. Like, hey, you owe me everything as your, as your Christian father, as it were. And so you want me to pay it back, I'll pay it back. But right, but let's not talk about paying things back because if anything, you owe me something. It's, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in Paul's mouth. There's just something coy here. There's yeah. something behind the scenes that is making a bigger point. It's kind of almost a, a, a rhetorical device here to say, yeah, you know what? The debts are pretty much clean here if you really think about it. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So um, yeah, let's, let's move on. We're, we're almost done with this as it were. But, um, you know, that's us, time economy. Uh, verse 21 now. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. So, so what does Paul say of Philemon in verse 21? Um, that Philemon is going to do it. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that Paul, Paul's not even going to explore this further. He's like, you know, assuming, assuming you're going to do this, then we're good. I mean, yeah. In fact, doing even more, yeah, I, I would expect that he's going to, that Philemon now is going to just lay upon grace upon grace. Yeah. I, I think it highlights, you know, the, the, uh, the good nature of Philemon being that, uh, uh, above and beyond kind of guy that he is which is part of his, his christian testimony and frankly uh professor d this would be probably the verse 21 or probably the main reason why this letter would also be read to the church mm -hmm. because the church would now have accountability yeah they, they would then look at philemon and go well what are you going to do you know here's what we think you ought to do and we'll, we'll help you with this and we'll we'll, we'll help you afford that whatever it is I mean, the church kind of circles the wagons at certain points, but yeah. I mean, I, I imagine this, this would be the moment where it's not just written to Philemon, but written to the overall church. I, I think that would be, yeah, I, I think it's almost like in Revelation where it's written to, you know, as, as John puts it, the angel of the church of, you know, this city, but really the whole church gets to read it. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, here's we have this idea here. Yeah. I, I think this, not that they're going to be leaning on him, but it would just be a natural accountability to make sure he, he acts the right way. I think there's like some, some degree of transparency that Paul wants there to be in the church. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, verse, uh, you know, what does verse 22 suggest? And by this, you know, how, how, how do you think it ties to Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians? Well, I mean, it's hard because, I mean, we're, we're facing this as we're looking in Philippians where Paul is saying, you know, by God's grace, I, this imprisonment will be over and I'll get to it. whatever. I think Paul says, I find out what happens to me or what happened to my situation. Then I'll come back to you. And, you know, if, if, if Paul is indeed in Rome, that probably is not going to be the case. I mean, if it does, it would be a biblical surprise to us because we're not really told that. We're, we're told that he's going to keep going west to I think to like Spain, that was his idea to keep, keep going that way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if God answers your prayers, he gets to come back. Maybe I, history is going to say he's going to die otherwise, but um, 
yeah, I, I see him in those other letters saying, I'm going to, I want to come visit you again. But if he's writing from Rome, I don't think he's going to go visit, but, but there's a hope that he wants to come back. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right to you? Well, my, my general understanding is that he's had two Roman imprisonments and he actually gets off on this one, but he gets caught later by, by Nero mm. where, where he really starts hunkering down on, on, on the Christians for, for blaming them for the burning of Rome later. Mm. That's been my general. And I, and I believe that this sort of, this happens outside beyond acts chapter 28. Okay. So um, there's a there is a brief window of time that he could have been released and and eventually got rearrested again, which was kind of goes par, par for course for guys like Paul. Well, did, did did I understand correctly though that he did want to he did want to go to Spain like he he had, yeah. he had, he had to Gaul or he, he there's places yeah. he wanted to go that even if you're even if you're right about a, you know the dual imprisonment, I mean he he really wanted to keep going and. and and keep planting churches and keep taking the gospel to yeah. other places. And I, I just, I just don't see him. So see him as really having time to get back there, but it communicates there's a desire to get back. Yeah. He's not just, Oh, Oh, woe is me. I'm forever gone. And you'll see me in heaven. No, I I'd love to see you again. In fact, it, it really is a great personal tie here. Cause assuming I can come see you again, I want to be able to see Onesimus is, is not in chains. Yeah. Or, I mean that, that you've, you've, you've indeed done what was right. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was, it, there's a great rhetorical device here that um, I want to come visit you again. And what, what yeah. am I going to find when I get there? But I don't well, know if you will. Uh, the other thing too, as, you know, as far as, you know, from when, when I've been reading is there's a difference in the tone he has in Philippians here versus the, the tone he has in second Timothy, where he knows he's on, he's like, he's begging Timothy. Hey, I, I, I need to see you one more time. And there, there's a different sense here. He's almost, he's very optimistic about the outcome mm-hmm. as well. And being led by the Holy spirit, I have to think that something did happen along those lines. But again, it's one of those things where it's like uh, being right or wrong. And it doesn't change the, the, the overall message of, of either of, the, of those epistles. So, right. Yeah. And, so, the, well, and the Bible doesn't tell us right. certain things we just don't even know, even at how which imprisonment we, we, we have no idea. We just because because the book of Acts is doesn't tell us more. And so well, the we, book of Acts kind of ends in a very abrupt sort of way. Right. It almost seems like it's incomplete. Like he has this little window where he gets to, to minister the gospel. Yeah. Would have been a good opportunity to write as well. Yeah, you know, especially if he had freedom, his maybe his friends can come bring him parchments. Yeah could carry letters out. I mean, right. I mean, that would have been, who knows how long Caesar was you know, going to make him stick in neutral for a while and yeah. not go anywhere. I mean, it, I think, I think Acts tells us he kind of like had like a two-year window, I think. Yeah. But Luke doesn't give us any more than that. We don't hear anything further about Nero, anything like that. We just don't, we just don't know. I mean, yeah. we just, we're not told, but so, yeah, so we're just left to wonder. Right. All right. Well, this is all very good stuff. I mean, I hope our listeners can can see the process of uh, studying scripture and the work involved in it as well. Um, moving down to verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So as we end the, the letter here, uh, any comments on, on some of the, the characters on the list? Yeah, I mean, these are some, these are some of Paul's big names. Uh, uh, Aristarchus is also, uh, he's also in, I believe, uh, Colossians he's listed. Demas is listed in Colossians. I believe Demas is also listed in Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy. Mm. So these are people that, uh, and of course, Luke, the, the physician and great traveling partner of, of Paul, who was you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Gospel of Luke and then the historical work Acts and, and Mark. We're assuming that's John Mark. That's you know, the Mark. And so this is the, 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 the natural connection back to Peter and also a, a good traveling companion. But, and honestly, with Mark, I mean, this, this would be something that's set underneath the table here, but Mark was reconciled. And I know Mark was part of that break schism with Barnabas. I mean, there, there's something about, I mean, it's just something that just jumped in here, but Mark, Mark is someone that's reconciled back to, back to Paul. So it's like, wait a minute, if I can bring back a Mark and you all know about a Mark, maybe you can bring back an Onesimus. I'm yeah. just saying, Mark's gonna send his greetings there's something pregnant about Mark being in this list. I'm just going to no, say. Not only that, but I think it's also the fact that Mark pops up in several of, of Paul's epistles in a very favorable light. And it's interesting because Mark turns up in the epistles and, and Barnabas is only mentioned in Galatians, I think. Right. You know, so I, I, I think it really does highlight, you know, what, what I think we're, we're, we're going to be talking about in a few. So, you know, like, you know, some of the, you know, as far as closers doing it a bit different than, than the big rev way, but figured this would be kind of a good uh, closing discussions here. Uh, let's talk about slavery during this time. You know, let's talk about it as, as, you know, as far as what's going on here with, with the whole slavery thing, a modern day Christian reading this is like, what slavery in Paul's writing about a slave master and a slave? What's going on here? Where's, where's the, uh, Where's the social justice here? Right. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 where we would have to land our plane on that, just looking from a, just, just the community, what's communicated by the text alone, mm -hmm. it would be what's not said. Mm -hmm. So if Paul, I mean, there is something about slavery that you know, one person owning another, that never sits right. I mean, there's mm -hmm. something about that that is, is demeaning the image of God if you are, so that's why Paul is, says, okay, if you, in, in, in Ephesians, okay, you got a master and a slave. You have to now, there's, a, there's something about an honoring and a submission there that you're really, God's the one at, at stake there, that you're really honoring Christ, you're submitting to Christ. And so it's like, even if, if, if slavery does exist, the way it functions must honor God and how your interactions are. With that said, Paul, if Paul wanted to have that slavery, Paul could have very easily said, you know what, I've been gracious to you, Philemon, but guess what? When he gets back, half his paper's handy because I'm tired of him being your slave. He's now your brother. He's not your slave anymore. It's like if Paul was going to come after slavery, if that was the if that was Paul's fight, then if that was the Holy Spirit's purpose with this letter, it would have been intentional. And the fact that Paul is, is using an existing institution and honoring God, even in the midst of the existing 
it's kind of like Martin Luther didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to stay and reform the Catholic right. Church. There's some, he didn't want to, but he, his hand was forced. They excommunicated him, but he didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. This idea of, can we reform this? Can, can, if there's going to be a master and a slave, could you guys be so socially radically different, countercultural? Could you be different enough that the surrounding world is going to go, whoa. And I think there's a greater power there. And I mean, if his point was to end slavery, he would have said it. And it's, it's easy to read the 21st century back into this. Yeah. But we, we can't. And that's that, that that would that would be ice of Jesus. And that would be wrong. We, we've got to read read out of it, not into it. Right. Right. I mean, the, the reality is that slavery was an institution thousands of years, even before the time of Rome, that that was already in place. Uh neither Jews or Christians had anything to do with its inception. Uh, scripture definitely does it. And I think it, it, it also speaks to other issues. For instance, a, a lot of practices in the Bible that, that are practices, but that the Bible never condones. For instance, the, uh, the polygamous relationship of, of the patriarchs and, and, and the monarchs in the Old Testament. And these were God's guys. And yet the Bible never, on the contrary, Genesis 2 makes it clear. One man, one woman. Right. That's marriage. And uh, to a point that you've made before in the uh, much earlier days of masterclass theology, when it was still called staying rooted, that even when, when a lot of the, the law of Moses was done, uh, you know, to protect women because of the fact that, you know, uh, going back to the, the topic of divorce, for instance, you know, the, God never condoned divorce, but he gave guidelines so that it protected women. Yeah. And, and things of that that sort, you know, um, and, and then Jesus comes later and just kind of turns it on its head, which which I thought was wonderful. But the thing is, it's also the thing about the the, the whole thing with the gospel versus social reforms. And I think uh, I think we need we do well to really look at Acts chapter six, where the apostles make it clear that we cannot stop teaching the gospel. First and foremost, the reason we even do whatever good we do with the food pantry or anything like that is because of the gospel in the first place. Right. I, I think, I think the, the main weakness between this idea of social justice or social reform is that for it to have theological power, reform needs to start within myself. Mm -hmm. It's like before, before you're wanting to transform society, I think, I think it's, it's best to look at yourself first and, yeah. That's kind of like the old revival, send revival, Lord, but have it start with me. It's like rather than trying to reform society, I, I would rather see the Bible reform me yes. and have it flow through my life into my relationships and how I interact with society. So therefore, I, I think his I think his 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 command to Philemon here is is to live your faith, and yes. if you if you receive him back as someone of the faith, and so now you're not just receiving him as a slave that has wronged you, but also a brother who is serving alongside you. And so now your faith is like, you're, 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 you're seeking, instead of seeking justice, instead of seeking revenge, you, God's word is reforming you. And now that reforms how you now live. And yes. so that's just kind of like be transformed by the rule of your mind. Now you can test and see what, what God's perfect pleasing will is. So now you're being transformed. And so now you're going to interact differently. And so I, I don't have a problem with social reform, but I think it must start with personal reform. Yes. Otherwise, it's it's hypocritical. It's, it's, it's missing the point. It's I want you to change and it has nothing to do with me. And that's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. 
the Bible tells us to guard our heart. The Bible tells us to be to to to, to deny the self, and, and, and we're to change, and we, we yes. we're to be transformed, and not you're to be transformed. And social justice points a finger when it when it ignores the self, and I th- I think that's a weakness when you don't start with the self and then flow out from yourself. Yeah, that, this is very good stuff. I mean, this is a lot of great applications for for modern day Christians regarding how to go about doing things. I mean, even the fact that Paul appeals and not commands, it's so easy to legislate anything or make a rule for everything, but it doesn't change the heart, right? It doesn't change things on a heart level. So it's not going to be very lasting. Um, you know, but one of the big things too is that, and I think we need to make sure that our, that our listeners understand this, is that Philemon really isn't even about slavery or, or the master-slave relationship. What is the larger point of Philemon? Um, if I had to summarize it in one in one sentence, I would say God's story is more important than your story, mm. or God's glory is more important than your feelings. Mm-hmm. Or if you take one step back and focus on the work of God in a situation, you recognize that you know God's at work, and God has been, been at work in my life and God's going to be working others life. It's like, if this is, if this is about Philemon's story, then Philemon needs justice and Philemon needs repayment and Philemon needs everyone to recognize that he's been wronged and that he's been a victim and that now we, he can come back and he can run, run him through the courses and make sure all debts are paid. If it was about Philemon's story, then he could just ignore what Paul said and say, yeah, oh, great, send him back because I, I, good. We, we've got, we've got to run it through the, I'm, I'm going to make sure I get what's coming to me. And, but no, God's story is more important. What God is doing, what God's glory for the sake of Christ is more important than the sake of Joel. I mean, that if I was going to boil it down to one idea, I think that's Paul's greatest point is God is at work. And so that trumps your work. Yeah. And God's story is more important than your story, your yeah. limited understanding. And I, I think that just transforms the story to something greater. Yeah. Well, what, would, what would you say, Professor D? Well, I, I think this comes down to forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. Hmm. You know, as, as you look at how this is unfolding, it, it's, it's about forgiveness. You know, uh, Philemon needs to forgive Onesimus. Onesimus obviously wronged Philemon at the very least by running away and more likely than not for stealing from him as well. Hmm. So there's forgiveness that is needed. There, there needs to be reconciliation between the two. This is why Paul doesn't hold on to Phile- uh, Onesimus and, and says, you know what? It'd be wrong for me to hold on to him because I really don't have a stake or a claim on, on Onesimus. The truth is, based on law, he does belong to Philemon. Mm. And restoration, because he's talking about him receiving him, not just as a slave, but as a brother. And if the timing of this is all correct, this, this goes very well with what Paul also wrote about in Ephesians chapter six about slave and master relationships as well. Mm. And then there, there could be a, a very good possibility that this all ties in together there. You know, uh, now this is a bit more on, on the guessing side, but I think, I, I think it's a worthwhile thing to mes- mention. Do you know anything about that happens to Onesimus beyond the story here? possibly what are your thoughts on that well there there's been again and one of the big and i i'm going to start off by by throwing out the disclaimer first the name of nisimus was a very common name in, in that time frame 
But one of the things that has come up in, in church records, you know, by, by church fathers, is there was an Onesimus during the first, during the second century, actually, who was, uh, per, who was the bishop of uh, the, the, the church of Ephesus. Wow. Uh, now, obviously, we really don't know if it's this Onesimus, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, dare to dream kind of situations. Could it have been this Onesimus? I, that, that's fascinating. I, I, I don't know, you know depending upon the dating of, of what you're saying, I, I don't know how old he would have been or young. He might, I mean, obviously he would have been a younger guy here to be able just to pick up in his travel. He wouldn't be an older slave, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, that that's fascinating. I, I mean, we don't really know, but we, we kind of like hoping that that might've been his story, but it would have been a re- very, very cool thing to, you know, but this is one of those things we'll find out in eternity, I guess. Right. What What's cool is that I I, I didn't have much time to prep on, on Philemon um, in terms of, of, of this podcast, but I did, I did look up in my history. I did. I preached Philemon in 2014. So, so a long time, I mean, eight years ago. And, and so that would have been a year before we, we even we merged with the bridge. But that was that was a long time ago. But yeah. I would I'm, I, you now make me want to go back through those sermons because I probably would have offered conjecture like that. that. You know what? Maybe Onesimus landed nicely. I mean, we just don't know much about him. We know he's mentioned in Colossians. Uh, we know that, you know, he's, he's going to be somebody that, that Paul's going to send him back. Okay. So that, that the Colossian church is ready for him to come back. But, but yeah, I, I that would be great that there's something greater was planned for Onesimus. Probably. I mean, the, the, he would be a walking example of in Christ, there's ne- neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Mm. I mean, that would be if he was to get a, now a title. And I don't know if he would have manumission papers like, OK, you're now freed. I realize our, our culture is dealing with the idea of Juneteenth and the, the, the Emancipation Proclamation, the freedom proclaimed. OK, I don't know if Onesimus is going to get freedom proclaimed. I don't know because I, I, I don't think the text anywhere says. But if he did land in the church in, a, in an ecclesiastical role that would have transformed many things and that could have really been cool that would have i mean it could have been really transformational i mean that that that's fascinating to even ponder but it's only possible in christ it reminds me of a friend uh, that i met from from uh from from india and he speaks a different, he, he, he was here working on a guest visa and he speaks a different language than his, his wife who are his fiance, who's back home in India. And I, and I said, well, how do you talk? And I, we, I speak one language, she speaks another. I said, well, well, how do you communicate to each other? And he says, well, we both also know English. So we, so we, neither of us can speak our native tongue, but we speak English to each other. So there's something unifying. And that same person said, we're both Christians. So we, we were able to marry or we're going to be married and even though we're of a different caste system in India, the Christian faith eliminates what we have in common, who we have in common is more important. So if Onesimus, if you're going to play with this, if Onesimus becomes a bishop, that now illustrates that slavery is no longer my number one identifier, that there's yeah. something bigger, more profound, more at my core than I'm a slave. And that would be cool. I realize it's conjecture, but what an illustration. Well, Paul pretty much makes it clear in all his letters that our biggest identity is always in Christ. In Christ. Amen. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been a very cool conversation. Nice. Um, any with that, I mean, again, this isn't exactly the way you do it, but uh, any uh, final closing comments, big guy? I mean, 
I, I think there is something really powerful about approaching the people in our life that we may have issue with, or I guess the word would be influence. How can you maximize your influence? Are you, is it, this would be something maybe if you were a parent and you have an older child, if you have a younger child, there's, there's more just authority that needs to be happening there in terms of you just have to lay down the law and you have to kind of, okay, here's the rules of our house. And here's what I expect you to do. But if you have maybe an older child or maybe you're an empty nester, maybe you have um, adult children that have moved out. And so now you don't have the same influence that you once did when they were four or seven or something like that. So now how can you influence the people in your life for the sake of Christ? And most likely you're not going to be able to be commanding and you're not going to be domineering or just laying the law down, but you can partner with them. And I think as, as Christians in relationships, especially as adults, and some of you are parents with teenagers, you got to do it with your teenagers as well. Can you partner with somebody to see a godly result versus just, you know, laying down laws and, and driving them away? Paul had a real opportunity here just to, just to be bombastic and completely drive Philemon off the table. Instead, he partnered with him. I think there's something really to be said about that in terms of our approach to problems and to really, you know, if we're going to attack anybody, we'll attack a problem, not attack the person. And we're going to arrive to honor Christ with even how we solve our issues. So to maximize your influence for the sake of Christ, I think that would be a great a way to take from this and be, be like Paul here and how he approaches Philemon. Yeah, I, I think that that's it. That's about it. It's great takeaways you can get from this. Well, with that said, um, you know, in, in the words of uh, the great bard Porky Pig, the, 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 that's all, folks. <laughs> so uh, with that, we'll be signing off. So this is Professor D. And I'm Big Riff. And um, yeah, that's it, man. God bless and uh, have a good uh, good uh, evening. <laughs> amen and amen. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.